Hi, Eric. Hey, how's it going, Aaron? Hey, so... Do you remember me? (laughs) Yes, I have uh, some memories, yes. (laughs) Um, Good to see you. Uh, It's been a while. We've been under quarantine land, and we haven't um, been doing any kind of recording or anything. No. Uh, But um, we were talking about a few topics, and I think it was your thought that was that we should just do what everybody wants to talk about anyway. Yeah, I, I think that anybody who isn't talking about COVID at the moment is missing the point of reality. Yeah, that's right. To the point where um, it was even a major topic during general conference. Ah, that's interesting that you say that because I thought about making a snide remark about how it was kind of a shame that they didn't give everyone time to rewrite their talks so it could be a major theme of general <laughs> conference. So, what, so um, you think that was a contributing factor? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, I don't know this from personal experience, but my understanding is the talks have to be turned in weeks in advance so they can get translated so that all the translations can go out simultaneously. Um, So that's, I think, the explanation why it didn't show up very much. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But we did, we did see, we did hear some of it, though. Yes, it wasn't a complete absence. Um. I suspect we had a few additions, but no real rewrites, re in the sense of again, right? Nobody wrote again their talk. Um, that's my that's my impression. But I w- I'm not, I don't know. I'm not in charge of these things. What do I know? <laughs> but yeah, general conference. Yeah, it came and it went. Well, I'm curious, um, it was supposed to be a uh, memorable and unforgettable conference. Um, on the On the scale of memorable and unforgettable, one through 10, where do you put it? I put it pretty high, but not because of big revelations about um, Joseph Smith for me, as opposed to, which I think is what they were intending. But I imagine, I mean, somehow I don't think this is what they had intended, but. Yeah, for me, it was all about the, just the virus, man. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It did make everything sound different, even if the words didn't change. So how do you want to proceed? Um, there's so many different work directions we could take this conversation. Um, do you have some thoughts as to where you want to go? I do. Um, I want to talk about um, a short excerpt from Elder Holland's talk. And I want to share a personal story about reading scriptures with my family um, earlier this week. Okay. Uh, and those things will tie together. So I don't think this is going to be like one of our typical episodes that we've been doing, right? I don't think so. We don't yeah. have we don't have an overarching doctrinal theme which we are examining. That which is how done, we usually do it. That we've done research on and that we have some points that we want to make. Right. Instead, you know, just I mean, I'm just sitting here riddled with anxiety trying to figure out yeah. what's going on around me and I kind of just want to talk about it. I have had more nights of poor sleep in the last few weeks than in any comparable length of time in my life, I think is probably safe to say. Waking up from stress dreams over and over again usually only happens the night before school starts. Um, Yeah, and I'm sorry if you're listening to this and this is giving you anxiety, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to turn it off. Go listen to the Good Place episode. Yeah, go listen to the Good Place episode. But yeah, I think this is really all people want to talk about. And so let's let's go for it. so talk to me about Elder Holland. So Elder Holland, I felt, gave the most direct um, mention of COVID-19 
in general conference. Other people mentioned the word, but um, it really did feel like frosting to me. Um, I felt like a bit of his talk was pure on COVID cake. And that's the part I want to talk about. Um, I'm quoting not from the official talk, which is, I didn't actually check today, but as of yesterday was not post on LDS.org. I'm quoting from the Salt Lake Tribune, which included this excerpt. Okay. Um, oh, should we just define general conference really quick? Oh, yeah, sure. Not everybody who listens uh, spends 20 hours of their year listening to general conference. Aaron, what is it? It's so long. It's 20 hours. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's only 10 hours. Okay. So every six months only. we have we have uh, general conference and it's five two-hour sessions all over a, during a weekend. And they're split up uh, three on Saturday, two on Sunday. And is it every member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles give a talk? That's kind of yes. So typically, what I thought. typically, typically each member of the Twelve gives one talk. Each member of the First Presidency usually gives three, although I have not been tracking it closely the last few years. I don't know if that's still true, but in the Hinckley years, that's how that worked. Yeah, I don't think it's the case anymore. Um, I, yeah, I don't and think then, And then the a scattering of other general uh, authority and, and officers give talks as well. That's usually right. a very, very small percentage of which is women when mm -hmm. you consider the population of the church at, at large. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that too, but maybe we'll come back to it. Um, so anytime there's like big changes in the church or, you know, big announcements, they go through general conference. Allegedly. Okay. And they're supposed to, right? But there are a few things that have been announced not during general conference. Um, nowadays, we don't wait for general conference to ordain the new prophet when one passes away. Mm -hmm. Um so although that's how we think of general conference, I'm not sure if you do the math. I'm not sure how true that actually is. I would, I would, I'd want to think about that a little bit more before I agreed with that statement. I'd okay. like to agree with that statement, but I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Yeah. So there we go. So each one gives a talk and let's be real. They're fantastic. There right. are, well, hmm. so I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, I am going to say that I like some more than others. Fair enough. Um, Christine Haglund, who used to um, be the editor of Dialogue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a, fine, a fine network. A fine network, Podcasting yes. products, uh, of which yes. we remember. <laughs> be before that podcasting network existed, she was the editor of the journal. And um, she recently on Twitter said that um, one thing that, even though some journal authorities are excellent speech, or, speech givers, and I would include Holland in this list as, as a true master of the craft, um, we don't have a sense of homiletics in LDS discourse. I don't know what that which means. Which is a, which? Yeah, I didn't either. This is and a great word. I know lots of words. Um, <laughs> homiletics is the application of rhetorical principles to preaching. So you know, if you went to seminary to be a, a pastor, for instance, you would study homiletics. But we don't. Wait. We have a lay ministries. Can, can you just say it again? The yeah, application of application of this is my definition, not a dictionary definition. It's how I remember it. So anybody wants to complain, please do so. Direct all complaints to Aaron. Okay, perfect. <laughs> At Aaron Brewster on Twitter. Um, homiletics is the, the application of rhetorical principles to the art of preaching. To the art of preaching. So it's the act of like being good at public speaking, but preaching during well, instead exactly. of public speaking. Yeah, and I, I don't, I mean, I was thinking about this as I was listening to the two youth speakers. Wait, 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 let um, me, I have a better, I have a better definition. Oh, okay, the, you looked it up. It's the, no, this oh. is my brain. Okay. This is, uh, it's the confluence of Toastmasters with sacrament talks. 
<laughs> I'll accept. I will accept that. Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking about this as the two youth who are invited to speak in general conference spoke, who are mm-hmm. who I should hasten to point out are not neither general authorities nor general officers of the church, just two yeah. young people under 20, under 18. Yeah. Um, they both did a good job. They both did great. Um, both of their talks, I thought, showed signs of passing through an approval process. Um, <laughs> if, they, if, they were, if the text was online, I would explain, I would show you exactly where I think this happened. But um, the, thing I, the thing I realized is that we have, we've developed a real tradition in the faith. And you see this tradition both in sacrament meeting and in general conference. Um, and so my complaint isn't that the quality of general conference talks is low. Like when I, when I hesitated to agree with you, it wasn't that I think the quality of the talks is bad. What I think the issue is, is that they're kind of homogenous. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the talks follow very similar formulas and go about things in a very similar way. And I bet if we did stats, we would see that they go about the same number of words between quotations. Um, and that's, that would be my complaint. I, I would like to see more creative effort put into talk. Such a literary guy. Yeah, no. And that's why I love Elder <laughs> Holland, because he is a true writer. Like, he's such a good writer. So, <laughs> All right. Well, quote us at something. Yeah. All right. So here's, here's the paragraph I was speaking of before. Even as we speak, we are waging an all-hands-on-deck war with COVID-19, a solemn reminder that a virus 1,000 times smaller than a grain of sand can bring entire populations and global economies to their knees. We pray for those who have lost loved ones to this modern plague, as well as for those currently infected. When we have conquered it, and we will, may we be equally committed to freeing the world from the virus of hunger and freeing neighborhoods and nations from the virus of poverty. May we hope for schools where students are taught, not terrified they will be shot, and for the gift of personal dignity for every child of God, unmarred by any form of racial, ethnic, or religious prejudice. I thought right. it was a beautiful paragraph. That's so good. Yeah. All right. it, this, this is the part of the conference that is memorable to me. Yeah. We're talking about memorable and unforgettable. This, this promise that, that A will get through it, right? Yeah. Which, look, I know I have, I know people and I have friends that are fair, that are still fairly glib about the whole situation, and I know other people that are just terrified of it. I'm yeah. somewhere in between, but it, like I said, it's just, it's just keeping me up, man. It's just, yeah. And so this, the, you know, we will get through it. Is very nice. And then what are we going to do afterwards? Right, and that's what I think is beautiful about this paragraph is something like the novel coronavirus we are battling right now um, by the way it disrupts our society at every level and for every person is a real opportunity to rethink our priorities, to rethink like what do we want to apply our energies to? Well, why not freeing the world from the virus of hunger? Why not freeing neighborhoods and nations from the virus of poverty? Like as Christians, isn't that what we should be most concerned with? And have we been? And if not, this is an opportunity to realign ourselves with with Christ-like motivations and priorities. Yeah, the part about um, school school, uh, students also really got to me. Yeah. Because I I live in a town where they do drills on occasion, don't they? Yeah, Yeah. and drills are really problematic. But that's I, I have a lot of opinions about this. 
and this is obviously a distinctly American problem, other than nations that are currently engaged in like an ethnic civil war, we're the only country that has this problem. All right, maybe we'll table that for now, though. Yeah, but that's, the a other big, bit, that's a big question. But the other bit, the gift of personal dignity for every child of God, I thought that was really cool, a really interesting phrase, personal dignity, Yeah. right? Unmarred by any form of racial, ethnic, or religious prejudice. I think I think we just finished watching the movie Minority Report oh, <laughs> with I my need, kid. I have not seen that in ages. I've every once in a while I think I need to watch that again. What a it really holds up. But one of the one of the scenes that really um, gets me is the uh, spider scene when all these little mechanical oh, yeah. spiders crawl through this building, uh, scanning everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's right. what's egregious about it is it strips away dignity and privacy. Right. Yes. And so this gift of personal dignity, I mean, people want that, right? It's this kind of I think desire. that when you, can, you, when you consider that we are children of a God, why would we not deserve dignity? Yeah. People deserve dignity. So, yeah, it was a good, it was a good speech, and it was really stirring um, speech. It was a good talk. Yes. <laughs> we don't do speeches in the church. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying you're rich. You're not allowed to say that even if it's true. <laughs> okay. So that's a, a good point. Um, this whole virus has been a real plague on, on everything. Um, one of the things that I've been most impressed about is our church's response. Mm-hmm. So oh. I'm, I'm not sure where you wanted to go from here, from here. But um, you recommended that I watch the um, World News and Report. I did, a, yeah. Specifically a particular part of it, but much of it is relevant. And so, yeah, pl- I, you've watched it more recently than me. Then. Well, I watched it the other night, and I watched all 45 minutes of it. And, you know, a lot of it was, was interesting because it sounded just a bit, um, a bit repetitive almost. Um, but it was fascinating to see because they covered like what each of the apostles were doing, right? And what the prophets were, were doing. So yeah, it's really interesting. But the part that got me that was really interesting was the beginning of it where it talked about what the church actually did to respond to the virus. The church was on the cutting edge. I remember reading a, an article in the Washington Post early in March uh, after we had canceled church services, but before hardly anyone else had reacted. And we were in the second paragraph and the third group listed as taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. So we shut down churches, temples. Um, we shut down temples, which is, I've never seen that before. No. Right. We shut down general conference itself. So this was the first time there wasn't 20,000 people in an, in that huge auditorium listening. That's true. Which is what, 20 years ago? Yeah. And then um, Temple Square is closed. It's shut down. Um, the church universities are all online right now. That's correct. And the big one to me is that the missionaries have gone home. That's a wild one, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how, I, as I'm sure you know, we don't have missionaries in our ward right now. They've combined with the Moraga ward. Right. Um, because so many of our international missionaries went home. And allegedly, after all the missionaries who were sent home from abroad have quarantined, they'll be sent back out and we'll be back up to numbers. But it still won't be normal. We had the sisters over for dinner last week, and it involved um, Skype. It was Skype. That's what we ended up using. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool to, to see how the church just pretty much um, yeah, was on the forefront of this. 
Yeah, I've been reading a bit about the church in previous eras. In the 57 pandemic, a uh, conference was shut down in 2008, or excuse me, in 1918-1919 conference. Um, the conference in April 2019 was delayed until June. And I believe the October one was canceled, if I'm remembering. I wasn't planning on talking about this, so I don't have my notes in front of me. But Wait, did you say the, 2019 or 20? I meant 1918. 1918. So this the, would have been the, the Spanish the, flu. The Spanish flu, right. Yeah. So yeah, so that, um, okay, yeah. This so is, here's a fun fact for you. Do you know why it's called the Spanish flu? No, it's got to be racist though, right? <laughs> no, well, it's actually, Spain was neutral in World War One. Yeah. And every other country that was affected was lying and saying that there was nothing happening because they didn't want to give an advantage of information to their enemies. So Spain yeah. was the first place people admitted that the flu was happening. Wow, that's great. That's good trivia. Wow. All right, where else do you want to go from here? Well, can I can I bring in Keen Benjamin now before we're too far away from yeah. Elder Holland? Um so after Elder Holland's talk, I this is something I've been thinking about anyway. Like personally, I'm living pretty. Like my job is continuing to pay me. I can do my work from home. It, everything is different, but um, the world goes on for me. I'm not going to have any trouble paying bills or eating or anything like that. So for me, the the multitude of tragedies that are happening are a step removed for me. Um, but I've been trying to be aware of this fact um, that people are suffering. And I've, I've read some awful stories about just the suffering people are having. And so with that in mind, and with Elder Holland's talk in mind, and those two things bouncing around in my head, um, earlier this week, we read um, from King Benjamin's speech in Mosiah 4. So I'm, I'm starting here at 17. This is where um, King Benjamin has said, hey, uh, if you want to be Christians, good. Take care of your kids. Second, verse 16, um, succor those that stand in need of succor. Administer of your substance to them that stand in the need. You're not going to suffer that the beggar put up his petition to you in vain if you are a Christian. Perhaps you'll say, this man has brought upon himself his misery. Therefore, I will stay my hand and not give unto him of my food nor impart unto him of my substance that he may not suffer for his punishments are just. But I say unto you, O man, Whosoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent. And except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth forever. And hath no interest in the kingdom of God. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God? Um, so I found this extremely powerful. And I think this is a moment where we all recognize that the beggar did not bring upon himself his situation. A lot of times we have a hard time believing that. Like it's easy to ignore people who are in bad situations because we we're used to it. And you know, you know, you know. But at this moment, people are suffering and nobody thinks it's their fault. When we've had more than 10 million people go on unemployment in the last couple of weeks, it's no one is saying it's the beggar's fault. And it's an opportunity, like I was saying before, of us realigning our values with the Christian values King Benjamin is teaching. Uh, at this moment, we know people deserve our love and our help and our generosity. And how are we going to um, how are we going to stand before God if we if we don't do that? Now, unfortunately, I really have no idea what to do. I'm not I'm not sure how to be helpful or do the right thing. It's so hard because this is um, this is a situation where all the get up and go of Mormonism is. Um, is flummoxed, right? So this yeah. World and News Report article 
that was all about action. All right, one of the apostles went and visited a country where there was a big eruption, and they talked about all of, you know, and there were people who were impacted and things like that. And so they were talking about how the Mormons were there helping, right? Distributing resources and working with the with the people that affected, making sure everybody had shelter. And, you know, yeah. there's this, there's this, this thing that, that Mormons know about that, or sorry, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints know about that yeah. they're the first, they're often the first responders, right? But this We're is a everywhere. situation where the correct response is to not respond, Yeah, right? Where the correct response is to stay home. Yeah, it's tough because that is absolutely true. But on the other hand, me staying home doesn't get a can of beans to someone who is at risk of not being able to feed their child. Right. But if you do take that can of beans to somebody, right, yeah. then you're spreading the virus. There's a cascading effect. This is, oh my gosh, this is a total good place episode, right? Before they <laughs> medicine, no matter what good you do, it causes more damage in the world. Like it's frustrating. Right. Well, that, you know, that was one of the critical points. Exactly. That was one of the critical points of the good place is that, you know, if you buy an apple and you buy it organic, there's a, there's, that doesn't just give you positive points. There's a huge ripple of supply and demand and what does organic mean and how does it affect the environment really and things like that all the gas spent to get that apple to your house so i don't yeah so i don't have a good answer of how we can help um i do think that we can talk about things like jeffrey r holland's talk right yeah we could try to spread some kind of hope and reassurance and I that think we, and we can we can try to be speaking of Keen Benjamin. He says like if you are the poor person who has nothing to give, and you say, but if I if I could if I could give, I would, and and that's really true. Well, right now I think our job is to become that person, the poor person who would give to the beggar if they could, because in the not too distant future we will be able to be the kind of Christians Keen Benjamin is asking for, the kind of Christian Elder Holland's asking for. And will we be changed when that moment comes? Will we be changed by this global pandemic or will we still be the same lazy people we were before? So there's two questions. What can we do while we're stuck at home, right? Yeah. And what are we going to do after? So the short answer is that we're stuck at home. Don't go out. <laughs> right? When's the last time you went to the store? Right. You have to go to the store. Um no, so, I'm, I'm, it's a serious question. I'm curious. Me I I personally? Can, yeah, you uh, personally. I have oh. not gone to the store. Oh, okay. In your in your family since uh, schools closed March 15th. I went into Lucky's one time. Okay. Because I happened to be with with uh, with the missus. And then I turned around and just and walked right out. I couldn't, I, <laughs> I had too much anxiety. I couldn't. Oh, man. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't handle be, the thought of being in there with all those people. I was the last one in our family to go to a store. It was also lucky. Mm-hmm. And that was March 14th. We haven't been yeah. there since then, Pi Day. Oh, okay. So your so, food stores at least are up. Yeah. We, people who left the Berkeley Ward about, I think about 12, 13 years ago, there must have been a big push for food storage. Mm-hmm. And everybody who moved out 10 years ago gave us our food storage. So we're eating mm-hmm. 10 years old wheat and 10 year old dehydrated apples, and it's all great. It's all, it's all <laughs> fine. No okay. Yeah. No. I mean, of, of course, this, the second, the, 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 the deeper answer of, of course, is that if you're doing your ministering teaching, then you yeah. know of specific problems that you need to help with your local families. We can't just be cut off from each other if people need it. But the question of what we do when we come back is 
is great. And that's why I particularly liked Elder Holland's talk, um, comment. Yeah. The other thing I think that we can do, you and I, Eric, is do some advertising. Oh? Um, specifically for the, um, the day of fast. Oh, yes. Coming up Friday. That's why you wanted to try to record early enough in the week that you would have a chance to promote this. Yeah. Um, well, before we go here, was there any, where, where else did you want to go f- with this conversation? Maybe we should do the fasting thing last. I've hit the main points I want to make. Um, I don't have anything on my agenda, so to speak, left to talk about. Is there anything about, um, let's see, is there anything generally about, oh, I do want to refute any of the nonsense that I've heard about people saying how this is the, you know, the end of the world and yes. punishment from God. Episode. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. I keep seeing phrases, even among members of the church, like, you know, we, you know, it's the same thing. We knew it was going to get worse before it got better. That kind of. That yeah. kind of thing. Here's well, the problem. With I, that. I want to I want to really refute that, right? Yeah. This is an example. Okay, this is stretching it a bit. <laughs> but think about the difference between this pandemic and the nineteen and the twenty and the nineteen eighteen pandemic, right? Okay, I'm listening. What What did they do? Did they isolate? Right. They did. So cities did, that isolated had better success. Okay. In In terms of recovery afterwards. Right, but did they have the viruses? I mean, did they have the? I mean, the vaccines? Right? Did they have the the research? So I'm in, I'm a protein crystallographer, yeah. and I'm involved not directly in COVID research, but I am watching it happen. So what I am seeing is this unprecedented outpouring of research and and collaboration. Right, mm-hmm. where I'm seeing scientific facilities fast tracking p- proposals. Right, saying what we're you know, we've closed down all of our beam lines, but we're reopening <laughs> these three, but only for COVID research. So get your proposals in, right? Yeah. And I've seen um, on the, in, the, in the structural biology field, where, which I work in, there, I've, seen, um, I've seen scientists send emails out to the, to the bulletin board saying, hey, we can help. Send us your difficult problems and we'll work on them with you, right? Yeah. And there's a big uh, campaign out there. It's called Crowdfight COVID-19. And it's a website you can go to, right? Um, just Google Crowdfight COVID-19. You can sign up. And even if you don't have any scientific expertise, they are connecting people who need work done with people who are doing work. And this is all kinds of anything from data entry to specific kinds of research. So this... That's the kind of thing that didn't exist. And this is an example, in my opinion, yeah. of the world becoming a better place. Yes. yes, it's a big pandemic. And yes, it's re- it's revealing cracks in the system that need to be fixed, right? But this is an opportunity for betterment. It's not an opportunity for doom and gloom. Yeah, I, I overall agree with you. And it's a little frustrating not to hear about this sort of research and how people are pulling together because the news is so filled with the objective incompetence of the people at the top of several political systems. Yeah, lots of finger pointing. And and frankly, like people who deserve to have fingers pointed at them. But at the moment, um, I don't know if that's the most helpful thing to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't make me feel better. Um, there's plenty to rage about, though, because there's a lot of like 
stuff that ranges from the incompetent to the um, improper going on. Mm-hmm. But but that doesn't mean that the world as a whole is any more fallen than it was before the disease happened. Diseases have always happened. If we didn't have the modern um, system in place that we have, even if it's not being rolled out as efficiently as it could be, this disease, it seems to me, would be killing on a level of the Black Plague. I mean, don't don't you think that's a, re- a third of the people? If you consider how many people need um, severe medical intervention, yeah. If that if we were three hundred years ago, I, it. it wouldn't surprise me to see those kind of numbers. Um, so the, it's still better than it was in the past. It's just we haven't seen this in so long, and we haven't seen it in our lifetimes. And humans really think in their own lifetime that, um, hey, you want another fun word? Yeah. This is it's called seculum. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from oh, who are the people? The Etruscans. It's an Etruscan word. And a seculum, the idea is a seculum begins at any event, right? So like COVID-19, for instance, is the beginning of a seculum. And the seculum ends when the last person who personally has memory of that event is dead. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, we are pretty much at the end of the 1918 seculum. There are very few people who remember this. Um, who are still alive today. Not zero, but very close to zero. And they were very young when it happened. So, so you know, we don't have our, the human memory is really built around this seculum unit. Like we uh-huh. have a hard time remembering and really believing in things if we don't know anybody who experienced it. I think I really buy it. I mean, I wasn't around during the Vietnam protests, right? No, nor but I. But I was around when the Berlin Wall fell. I right? remember that. And I remember it incredibly visibly, visibly uh, uh, incredibly well. Okay, so in my message of hope that I just had about scientific Yes. <laughs> I didn't want I don't want to downplay things and make it sound like things aren't as serious as they are. Um do stay home. <laughs> <laughs> Be a participant in the solution. Um Okay, cool. So day of fast Yes. In our church, we do fasts once a month at the beginning of the month on the first Sunday of the month. And yes, on average, um, the one for April actually happened a week early because of general conference. So it was, that's right. It was actually the last week of March. I'm just saying this. So nobody can say, gotcha, Aaron. (laughs) Um, and then during a fast, we usually fast for two meals, right? Two meals slash 24 hours is the way it's usually, yeah, as if those two things were identical. <laughs> and, and they're kind of, kind of. <laughs> All right. This goes back to the Thou Shalt Navy episode. Yes. What does fasting mean to you, Eric? <laughs> um, fasting means something that I'm always surprised by and feel bad that I'm not taking more seriously. That's, what, it, that's what usually doesn't it happens. Make you, doesn't it start to be like, like if you actually do a proper fast, like you have your 6 p.m. meal right? Mm-hmm. And then you don't have anything overnight and in the morning you come from, from church and it's one in the afternoon, right? Yeah. It hasn't even been 24 <laughs> hours yet. <laughs> Let's get lunch. It's time for an early dinner. My blood sugar drops. <laughs> I am, I am. It is really hard to make those two meals. Something, I don't know, man, that's a, perhaps a very first world problem. Okay. Yeah, but any- yeah no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Anyway, <laughs> So, okay, so you skip two meals, and then, um, so this, I think that there's three components to a fast. You skip, th- you skip two meals, you dedicate your, the end of the fast with a prayer for a specific purpose, 
and then you donate the money that you saved to as a fast offering. Hopefully rounding up generously. Rounding up generously. And the fast offerings go to the poor. Yeah, and you remember that as a clerk, I actually paid a lot of money using fast offering funds to people that needed it. Yeah. All right, so President Nelson, in our last talk, in our conference that just happened, said the following. God has all power, all wisdom, and all understanding. He comprehendeth all things. He is a merciful being, even unto salvation, to all those who repent and believe on his name. So during these times of deep illness, as when illness reaches pandemic proportions, the most natural thing for us to do is to call upon our Heavenly Father and His Son, the Master Healer, to show forth their marvelous power to bless the people of the earth. As I mentioned in General Conference a few days ago, okay, and this is, okay, so this is his announcement after the fact. <laughs> yes. I'm calling for another worldwide fast. For all those who health may permit, let us fast, pray, and unite our faith once again. Let us prayerfully plead for relief from this global pandemic. I invite all, including those not of our faith, to fast and to pray in two days on Good Friday, April 10th. So this was released today, this version. This statement that I'm reading, yeah. And this is from the newsroom.churchofjesuschrist.org. Okay. Good Friday, April 10th, that the present pandemic may be controlled, caregivers protected, the economy strengthened, and life normalized. How do we fast? Two meals or a period of 24 hours is customary. But you decide what would constitute a sacrifice for you. As you remember the supreme sacrifice the Savior made for you. Let us unite in pleading for healing throughout the world. So, a couple points I wanted to make. First point, let's start at the very basic, okay? The atheist point. What good could this possibly do? Well, let me rephrase that for you, Aaron. Um, what would you consider a successful outcome of this fast? Well, the most, the, the, the simplest answer would be the four points that he mentioned, right? Um, that There are four, the four points that he mentioned, that the, the pandemic may be controlled, the caregivers protected, the economy strengthened, and life normalized. That would be a successful outcome. Sure, but let's put it, I mean, do you have any time scale that makes you feel like this, the fast really accomplished something? Or it seems inevitable this will happen eventually. I'm, I'm playing <laughs> your atheist at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So why do we fast then? Why are we going to do this? It's a great question. Uh, my brother, my brother asks a question of people whenever he wants to have a conversation um, about religion. Like, why do we bless the food? Um, and I've given that question a lot of thought, and I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. I say thank you for the food in a prayer, but I don't bless it anymore um, because I couldn't think of a good reason to. And so I think this is why fasting every month is hard for me because I don't always feel um, this need for an additional boost of God in one specific area. I try to fast for other people because that's a little bit easier. And that's kind of what this one is, right? It's fasting for the world. And I really think 
back up one moment. The first fast I can remember, and it's because this is the first fast that really meant something, is when I was about 10 years old and my grandfather had been out in his fields and he was kicked in the head by a horse and he was life flighted to Pocatello. And um, and I had a true and sincere fast experience with my extended family. We all happened to be in town that weekend for a family reunion and and we all fasted together and it was a powerful and moving experience and kind of foundational, I think, to my relationship with God. So I am by no means am I slighting the idea of this fast. Um, I hope I'm not coming off that way or fasting in general. I'm not. I'm just admitting my own weakness and sometimes understanding why a particular fast. This one I feel is a very important fast and something I feel we can all um, come together on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you asked the question, like, what difference does it make? And and that I I don't know how to answer that. I'm not really sure. Well, I can, I have an answer to my own question. I think, at least this way I think about it. Maybe you okay. can you can agree or not. To me, it comes down to this word that he uses at the end of his talk, and you just you decide what constitutes a sacrifice for you. Okay. So I get to do a vocabulary word for you. What does the word sacrifice mean? Um, the way we usually use it in modern American English is giving up something that you value um for some greater purpose yeah so for instance giving up food that people may be healed would be a sacrifice i value food the way i heard it once and i don't know which sunday school teacher told me this originally maybe it was my mom or something she always she's very good at telling me things like this sacrifice means to make sacred yeah well they have the same root word right yeah and then making sacred means kind of like setting it apart giving it to God, or at least having God share it with you. <laughs> yeah. Something so like that. What are we sacrificing here? We're sacrificing food, right? Mm-hmm. We're sacrificing money. We're sacrificing effort in terms of our thought and the prayers that we say. say. And we're kind of that, what that means is that we're setting it apart and we're saying, this is special. This yeah. is, this is important. And I'm, sh- and I'm demonstrating that this is important. And so I'm this to me, in some ways, it's a focusing act. Yeah. It's a demonstration of sincerity and it's, um, and it's practical too, of course, because the money goes somewhere good, <laughs> but it, it, to me, it just, when I fast well, and I've definitely fast poorly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, whenever I'm, I'm reminded that I'm hungry, it immediately just makes me like, uh, think about what I'm fasting for again. Yes. When I have a good focus, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I do think this is one of the reasons why fasting today is hard for me. I think you've explained it to me, um, is that food is not that big of a deal to me. I love food. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not unusual for me to go two meals without eating. Like I do it frequently, not planned or anything, just that's kind of how my day works out. Right. Um, and if I didn't eat those two day, those two meals, it's not like I'm terrified about where my next meal is coming from. When I skip two meals, it's not like there's certain money that was set apart for those two meals that now becomes the Lord's money to give to the poor. Um, I am by historical standards, a wealthy person, even though I teach school, right? Like I have enough money where whether I eat two meals or don't eat two meals, it doesn't make a big difference to my bottom line. Um, And so I'm not sure, I think that's why it's hard for me on a month by month basis to see the sacrifice of two meals as a big sacrifice. 
I know a lot of Mormons who, or excuse me, I know lots of Latter-day Saints who observe Lent, um, the Catholic um, observance between Ash Wednesday and Easter, where you give something up um, for a long period of time, right? Weeks. Um, and it could be something, it's not necessarily food, although a lot of people do like a sugar fast or they give up chocolate or, or um, but some people give up, you know, driving and they try to walk or whatever. And I, I think that what I see in these Latter-day Saints is a hunger for a bigger sacrifice. Like, like there's this need that we have to give more than we're giving. I'm not sure we always know how, where to direct that desire to give up something for the Lord and for our fellow um, brothers and sisters who live on this earth. Like, I feel like um, we need more direction. And, and I, I do feel that an extra fast in a month for a specific purpose is a step in that direction. Um, I think we want to give more. I think we want to give more because we know that we live very comfortably. Like for me to give up two meals, it's nothing like Mary Fielding Smith giving up two meals. It's a yeah. different... That's it's a big deal. I mean, this is food. For me. It's a different than it when it's food that you have reaped yourself. Yes. Right. As opposed to, I have food in the cupboard. I'm just not going to eat that food. Right. Yeah. It's just it's, that's different. But so so how do we make it more personal to us? Um, I think that in this particular case, that we have a strong focusing element. Right. We're going to join in the world. You know, whoever right. hears about it, and. Um, be kind of unified in purpose. When the, steak, neat. when the steak had a steak wide fast earlier this year for a beloved um, leader in our steak who is unwell, mm-hmm. um, I felt like that was powerful too. When, when the ward has had a fast together, I feel that that's powerful. I feel like when I get outside of my own um, life and a fast becomes a community event, that fasting is much more powerful for me as an individual. And because it's more powerful for me as an individual, I feel in some metaphysical way that it must be um, more meaningful in other levels as well as if God recognizes that more. I don't, I not, I don't think I would argue that, but it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why a worldwide fast feels powerful because it's something we're doing together, and it's not just me with my personal concerns, giving up two meals and having lunch at two p.m. <laughs> and calling it dinner. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Excellent. So, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's all we're going to talk about. I think that's probably it, right? I think so. Um, I just want to say in closing that um, I really, really am trying to empathize with those of you who are suffering, um, people who've lost loved ones or will lose loved ones, people who um, have lost their job and do not know how they're going to pay their water bill. Like there's, there's a lot of suffering in the world and I, I am quite lucky myself. And, um, and I just want you to know that um, even though it's meaningless, like I really am thinking about you. Yeah. Likewise.